Praise God. Thank you for slip sliding your way in here today. Hallelujah. Uh, let's turn our Bibles today to Acts the 19th chapter, verse 8 through 10. We are talking about the seven churches. We started a couple weeks ago where we spoke about what is going on in the world, how judgment is beginning in the world and is headed for the house of God. And it seemed like every week we hear pastors leaving the ministry or switching churches or being caught in some uncleanness, uh, whatever it might be. But judgment is coming to the house of God. God is coming back for a church without spot or without blemish. He's coming back for a people who are prepared for him. He's coming back for a remnant. And uh, so when Paul speaks to these people in Asia, as we're going to discover in Acts 19, 8 through 10, realize that Paul is there in Asia Minor and he's preaching the gospel. Out of his preaching, it tells us the whole region has been uh, heard the word and many have been converts. And then what we see is John the Revelator approached by Jesus, the resurrection, and he calls John into a place of declaring uh, a watchman's voice that Jesus is getting ready to come back. Let's go to Acts, the 19th chapter, verse 8 through 10. And he says, he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years so that all which dwell in Asia, that's Asia Minor, the whole region of the seven churches in Revelations says everybody, everyone heard the gospel in Asia, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. Now can we go to 1 Timothy 1 and verse 11 down through 15. 1 Timothy 1. Yeah, there you go. Paul and a First Timothy one eleven. I'm sorry, I should have said one eleven. I can. Oh, that is it. Okay, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in un... You know what? That's a wrong... Can I go to 2 Timothy? I don't like 1 Timothy now, but, but I do like 2 Timothy 1 and verse 11. 2 Timothy... I know I'm patiently waiting because I made a mistake. There you go. Hallelujah. Whereupon I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. 
For that which calls, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he, God, Jesus Christ, is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto me, unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, now watch this, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and, yeah, Joe. And so, now let's go back to Revelations and let's go to Revelations 1 and I think it's, uh, gosh, let me see, 19, 18, 18. Uh, Revelations 1 and verse 18, yes. And it says this, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to John the Revelator, and he says this, I am he that liveth, and I was dead. Behold, I am now alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the appearance of Jesus the verification of his resurrection, unveiling of his glory, and the things which are, that is the condition of the churches, and the things which shall be hereafter, the things from Revelations 4 on. And it says, And the mystery of the seven stars which, are, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word angel there doesn't really mean angel. It means servant, preacher, proclaimer of the gospel. And so these angels that are set in the church are the pastors of these assemblies. And then it says this, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches, and Jesus is walking among them. Now, if we go to... Uh, Revelations 2, 1. Revelations 2, 1. Now, let's get the picture here. We have been talking about a generation. We've been talking about that there would be a sound that would come up and that God would prepare the church. What has happened is Jesus has sent Paul, and he has preached in Asia Minor. From the time that Paul preached to the time that John proclaims the voice of Christ to these seven churches has only been 40 years. 40 years they have all heard. 40 years Ephesus is running 20,000. There is the church of, of uh, Philadelphia. There is the church of, of the Laodiceans. These are all major influential churches in this whole region. Now there are hundreds of little churches in houses and in smaller buildings, but these were the seven influential churches, and that's why Jesus addresses them. So realize that just like the prophets of old, God has sent Paul. They have received the word of the Lord. They've turned to the Lord and turned to Christ. But now, 
40 years later, one generation, one generation, much like Israel, every, gener every generation turned their hearts and their backs on God, and God would raise up a prophet in a generation, and he would call them to repentance. Well, John the Revelator is the watchman or the prophetic voice to these seven churches. What is he doing? He is calling them to repentance. Only 40 years, only one generation. That means that every generation has its times that they need to be corrected, they need to be rebuked and brought back on track. Now, in Revelations 2, 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, Write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Jesus is personally involved in bringing a message to the angels of every church and of being involved in the assembly of his people. And I know thy works. Now Jesus begins to speak to them and he begins to tell them all of the things that he loves about them. Now remember, why is Jesus doing this? He is calling a church to repentance. Why? Because the church has went astray. And every generation, churches loosen themselves and depart from God. And I believe that today is a day, a season, we can look at what is going on in the earth I believe that we are coming to the point that Jesus is going to return. I believe that we will see him in my day. I believe that I'm going the way of the rapture and not the way of the grave. I believe, just look at prophetic times and prophetic activities that are being fulfilled every day. Now, Jesus tells us, how is it you can discern the seasons of the earth and you do not recognize when he has come or when he is going to come. Remember, these seven churches reveal things that have been and things that are right now, the condition of the church and the things that will come. And then it goes on to say this, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They're doing pretty good, aren't they? And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. Pretty good. And thou hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake, hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless. In other words, Jesus tells them that he is aware of everything that they're doing. They are ministering. They are touching people. He understands what they're doing. He understands their position. He understands that they have resisted and not fainted. He understands it's been a struggle. But we also have to understand that in this, Jesus says, nevertheless. Now, people would sometimes, in their immaturity and their foolishness and misunderstandings of God, say, well, well, that's condemnative. Listen, friend, if you come to a church and get condemned by the preaching, then you need to seriously look at your attitude and look at your life. Come on, it, when, when you got uh, 800 other people that are not hearing condemnation and you're whining about being condemned, 
you need to find out why you have such an attitude. Now listen, Jesus doesn't apologize. Nevertheless, what's Jesus doing? He is showing grace and mercy to a condemned church. Now I'm going to show you that. And it says this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Now, what does repent insinuate to you? Somebody say sin. There you go. We don't repent of doing good. We don't repent of of giving. We don't repent of praising the Lord. We repent because there is something between us and God so that our sins can be removed and cast as far as the east is to the west. Could I get an amen? Absolutely. So when he says repent, what are the wages of sin? Death. Death. Jesus positions John the Revelator as a watchman and he calls, Jesus is coming. Prepare yourself to meet your God. He does this because they have turned their back away from the gospel that they just received within a 40-year span. And then he says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do thy first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick. In other words, he'll take out the identification of you being a church. That's what Jesus is going to do. And out of his place, except thou repent. And then it says this, but this thou hast, that thou hast hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Well, what is Jesus doing? He is calling the church back to repentance. Now they're doing a lot of great things. Man, they've got things. They hate evil. They do all these things. And Jesus says, wow, man, that's great. But understand, I've got one thing against you. Oh, please understand this. For you that once believed and once saved and always saved, repent. Could again, hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who in the world believes once saved, always saved when Jesus told this church that they once were in a place but have fallen to a place? And he says, remember from whence thou hast fallen. In other words, look at where you once were and you're going to find yourself in a far worse place place than you have ever been even before you had known me now jesus calls this church to repentance well he's mad at him oh please get over your peanut mind jesus is not after them whom he loves he chastens he is motivated by love because he doesn't want to lose this pearl that he has paid the price to find He has bought our lives by the blood that he shed. And Jesus says, look, remember from whence thou art fallen. In other words, this church is so blind 
It is so spiritually dull, so spiritually deaf that it cannot even hear the convicting, pricking proddings of the Holy Ghost in their life. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm telling you that we are living in an age that judgment needs to begin at the house of the Lord. And if it begins here, where are the unrighteous going to end up? Listen, God is not going to accept all your past good deeds for a cover-up of your present sin. This is not an exchange too good for one evil. No, 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 no. This, this is not the church that does that. You cannot redeem yourself by good works. You redeem yourself by repentance. Now realize that this is a real sin. This is a real sin. This is a problem. Jesus isn't saying, well, you know, I understand. He is not hyped up about hyped up grace. Grace never condones nor grants the right to sin amen now I'm not talking about you being perfect I'm talking about you as a believer making sure that you don't have any known disobedience abominations sins wrongs offenses hatred communications coming out of your mouth that you are not those that have fallen away from Christ but that you are those that did the verse 2 and 3 you're doing good works and you haven't separated yourself from your love for Christ Jesus it says here that you have somewhat against thee for thou hast left thy first love so don't tell me you can't regress just because it looks like you're progressing. Now, well, well, whose job is this? I'm telling you right now, it's your job. You have to work out your own salvation. You know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, man, my, my daughter wouldn't have been in such condition if we'd have just had a better children's pastor. No, if you'd have beat her while she was at home, she probably would have been a better student and a better teenager anyway. Look, you are the one that's raising her. God gave her to you. He didn't give her to us. Don't think our two-hour babysitting project for your child means that they're going to live right. You're going to raise them in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. And if you don't raise them in the admonition and nurture of the Lord, then you're responsible for their ending up in a hell without God. Don't, don't, listen, your church is not your problem. Your personal relationship with Christ is your responsibility. Jesus says, I thank God that you are holding people that are declaring things that they are not. You're holding them to the fire and you're calling them liars. I'm glad that you are a church that is involved in reaching out, doing works, uh, community things, reaching out, bringing people to Christ, laboring one from. I love all of that. But what you can't do is get so busy in life and get so busy in church business that you forget your commitment to stay in love with Christ. Could I get an amen? Hallelujah. Now, when we fall back 
Uh, when we fall away from being in love with Christ, simply it leads to sin. Somebody say lead to sin. Listen, we are supposed to love Christ. And when your love for Christ starts to wane, guess what? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it would tell me this, that if you don't love him, you aren't going to keep them. You are not going to keep them. You're going to be compromising. You're going to be wish-washy. You're going to be doing whatever the world does. Now, you're going to show up for church. Your arm's going to go up in your traditional way. Your religious uh, flags go up. But you know what? You aren't in love with Christ. You come to church just to appease your own conscience. I'm telling you, friend, it's time. Snap yourself out of religion. Snap yourself out of tradition. It's time for you and I to fall back in love with one Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And when we fall back into love with Jesus Christ, guess what? It's going to cause us to do certain things. When we fall back in love with Jesus, we are going to begin to get our focus back on spiritual things. When you fall out of love with Jesus, you are missing or you are redirecting your focus and you are placing your love for him with the love of other things. That, that's it. That, look. You're going to love something, a dog, a woman, a, a, you know, a car, whatever. You're going to love something. We are created to be loved because we're created in the image of God. But when you get your focus off of God, your focus is going to fall on something else. And you are going to fall in love with something else instead of Jesus. Now, once you get your focus out of love, you know what? You begin to lose your ability to protect yourself from sin's snares. Here's what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, my Father will love you. Well, God loves all the world. I understand what you're saying. But you're also saying it entirely wrong. God loves the world and has showed his love for them at the cross. That cross reveals to every man, woman, and child that they are a sinner. Why else would God send his son except that he needed a substitutionary lamb to die for all men's sin? So it rebukes them, it chastens them, and it calls them to repentance. Now, that's God's love for the world. But God's love for son and daughters is entirely different. And the love of God to be experienced, whether you like it or not, is conditional. Can I have John 14, 26 on screen? Because I think people think I'm lying to them. You know, people will be doing stuff, say, well, I know God still loves me. Well, he still loves you, and he's granted repentance. But if you don't repent, he's going to send you straight to hell. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. For you visitors, I hope you aren't shaking too much today, but this is just the way that it is. And, you know, hallelujah, I'm not going to be guilty of somebody's blood just because people don't like what I preach. Now, look, but the comforter, I said, John 14, 26, how about go to... Let's go to 23. I don't 
don't like that, 26. John 14, 23. And he answered and said, if a man love me, he will what? I'll say it louder. Keep what? And my father will love him. Now let's read it kind of on the flip side. If we could just turn John 14, 23 around, it would say, and Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man doesn't love me, he will not keep my words, and my father will not love him. And it says this, but we're going to flip it back around so we can see it. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. Stop. When was the last time that you didn't do what God asked you to do or that you knew you should do? That tells you how many people are not in love with God even today. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't like this kind of preaching. I know it, but you're locked in here and it's cold outside. And we've already sprayed water on the doors and they're locked. And you ain't getting out of here until they melt. No, no, see, people, now, we want to twist this. Well, God's a God of love. Absolutely he is. He's granted you because of his love. He's paid for your free will so that you could have a choice to choose life or to choose death. Now, he'll give you death if you choose death. Why would you do it except that you do not love him? You love yourself. You love sin. You love lust. You love whatever you love. Because you don't love God, you don't keep his commandments. And he says, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Does God leave the life of the believer? When you stop loving him, when you stop doing his commandments, God stops living in unholy Oh, Pastor, I, I just, oh, I just, it, this is just blowing my theology. Well, you should have built it on the Bible. This right here. Read this with me. Jesus answered, come on, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him hallelujah how many of you forgot to pray yesterday don't raise your hands because it's going to be entirely too much for me to count how many of you put god in the back seat yesterday so you could drive yourself okay how many of you yesterday said things about people that you wish you wouldn't have said or you knew you shouldn't have said, but you just wanted to say them anyway. I ain't nobody going to be in love with Jesus by the time I get done here but me. Because I know, I knew this was coming, so I did it all right yesterday. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. Look, if we knew Jesus was coming, we'd all eat different, live differently. Amen. But now I want you to realize what Jesus said. If you love me, you keep my commandments. That's why when you leave your first love and your love falls on something else, guess what? 
Sin is headed your way. Now, when someone separates themselves from their love for Christ, their first love, the second thing that goes is the joy of salvation. Now, let me tell you why some of you are so miserable. We don't even put you on camera. Some of you are so miserable, you look like you're demon-possessed. You're possessed with discouragement because you think that God's behind all this. God ain't behind all this. No, he, he is with you if you keep his commandments and love him. Now, if you're separated from the first love, you're reaping just the life that you chose. True. Hmm? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, how, why, why would somebody come in here like this? Well, most men are built like that, but I'm talking about the facial features. Somebody says, I have no friends in church. That's because when you look at them, they don't know whether to drive a stake through your heart or to throw you a piece of meat. Oh, nobody likes me here. You ought to show yourself friendly. But if you think the uglier you get, the more people you're going to attract, you are absolutely wrong. Amen? Did you put makeup on today? That's why I'm standing in front of you. You didn't. Now, look. So people come and they're, they, I have no joy in the world. I'm so discouraged. I'm, you never sing. You're, but let me tell you, you have fallen out of love with Jesus. When people are in love, they are goofy. They walk around hugging and kissing. and I mean, they kiss between bites of food. I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? They're chewing the same gum to save money. Look, what in the world? People that are in love get all dressed up. They give all their money. They'll give anything. They, they, they just, hallelujah, submit to anything. Honey, I don't want to go there. Sure thing, John, whatever you want, baby. You, you, look, it's only when after we get married two weeks later that we start drawing our boundaries because really the moment is past and we are falling out of love with our spouses. And if you don't think that's not falling out of love, when you stop sacrificing for your spouse, take it as a sign you're headed in the wrong direction. When you're saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and she's not included, uh, you're headed in the wrong direction. Because she's either going to knock you out someday or you're going to get served with paper someday. Or you're going to live a miserable life. Amen. I don't want to live in a loveless life. I don't want to live in a... a intim without intimacy in my... I don't want to live without any of that in my life. But when we fall out of love, the first thing we lose is joy. Is joy. Is joy. You want to know if your husband is in love with you? See how happy he is. And if not, ask him, why are you so miserable? And he says, if he says, I'm afraid to tell you, you know it's you. <laughs> he 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm telling you, if, if you are not happily married, there's something wrong with your love, respect, and passion towards your spouse. Amen. I'm not just going to live. A, I'm telling you, I'm more in love with my wife than I've ever been. She said the other day, she said, well, I don't think you were in love with me before. I said, yeah, but I'm talking about the last 20 minutes, baby. I said, you can't judge everything by time. I guess you could, but my time is mine, and I get to redefine it. And, all right. A lack. The second thing is going to go is a lack of intimacy. A lack of intimacy. How many of you could not stay away from your girlfriend before she became your wife. You'd drive how far to go see her? What would you do? You'd borrow money. You'd, you'd do anything. I took a bath when I first met Phyllis. I got a haircut. I used to have long hair. Called me a little custard, and I wore a cowboy hat, and I was in a motorcycle gang. I met Phyllis. I took my colors off. I got my hair cut. I took my hat off, and I went to a men's store, and I said, I want to look like that. And they said, okay. Buddy, two days later, I come walking in there, John Travolta. Boom, boom. Yeah. And before I married Phyllis, that's how I'd, I'd dress. I'd just go into a men's store and say, can you make me look like that? Sometimes they say, sorry, bud. That's got 32-inch legs. Yeah, you're 26. And, uh, but I, that's how I started dressing because I wanted to be, hallelujah, the man of the hour. And I was. And to, just to say to myself and about myself, I look good. I was the best-looking guy in the bar. Of course, they'd been there two or three days drunk, but I'll tell you what, I still was the best thing looking in the bar. Hallelujah. All right, so, but when you lose your first love, let me tell you what you're not going to do. You're not going to read Scripture. Oh, I thought I was just tired. No, you aren't tired. You are out of love. You, there are two things that men always find time for. Food and They never have time for trash. They never have time for any. Listen, but if I'm going deer hunting, I, look, I just returned from a deer hunt. I didn't bathe for three days. On the way, I stopped and I said, I have got to get to a shower. I smell myself. I think it was the other two guys I were with, but I got a shower. Now, if I would have come home at 2 o'clock in the morning and, and Phyllis would have said to me, Oh, honey, I missed you so much. How tired are you? I'd have said, I'm taking a shower. And I took a shower. But if she asked me to take a shower to go out to lunch with somebody, I'd say, I ain't taking a shower for those people. I just wear whatever I had. My granddaughter says, You either smell like deer pee or aftershave lotion. There are no happy mediums with me. Either I want to be around you or I don't. And so, look, when we love something, we are automatically willing to sacrifice. Amen. That's right. We're willing to give. We're willing to serve with joy. 
and we are willing to participate and we are willing to surrender all. All. Amen? It's only when we fall out of love that we start redefining what is ours and what we think is hers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do we do when we are fall, have, when we find out that we have fallen out of love with Christ? And let me say this. This church is filled with people. Ephesus, probably 20, 25,000. And Jesus tells the whole church, not some of them. He says, I tell you, you have all left your first love. So it's not just a few. It is an epidemic. Could again, amen. amen. But the ordinary Christian accepts the joyless life, accepts a life without intimacy, accepts a life without passion, and a life without service. But ordinary Christendom, let me tell you this, is a stench in the eyes and the nose of God. What you call ordinary, Jesus thinks you have fallen. Yes, hallelujah. Could have given amen. All right. What we have to understand that ordinary Christendom does away with judgment of itself. Ordinary Christendom judges itself to be accepted by how good that it's doing above the person beside them. It doesn't judge itself by the scripture. Christendom does not judge itself by scripture. Fellowship and relationship do. But Christendom really judges itself whether it's right or if it's good enough for God or accepted of God by how well they're performing above another. Mm -hmm. And your friend or your brother is not a measuring stick at all. Because they may have already fallen and like where they fell. They may be lukewarm. They may be totally defiled by the teachings of Jezebel and, and Baal that run rampant in the church. So you can't judge yourself by somebody else. In fact, the Bible says don't compare yourselves one with another. Amen? You're your brother's keeper if you see him in sin. But God doesn't say, but don't worry, he'll be your keeper. No, you're your brother's keeper. It never requires anything from your brother towards you. Well, why did him good? He ought, he ought to do something for me. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. You watch out for your brother, but he's not required to watch for you. Amen? Here's a great thing that I've realized. What do you expect, Pastor? I expect you to live by the word, to do just to all men, 
to make sure that you live honestly, with integrity, purely, and that you live with a focus to Christ. That's what God asks us to do, that we love him so that he can express his love to us. But besides that, I require nothing. I don't expect anything from you to me except honor and respect. That's it. That's all I expect. I don't, I don't expect you to do or to be or anything. That's between you and God. But I am watching for you. I learned long ago, if you want to get disappointed, just remember or recollect what people do to you or expect something from them. You know how many times I've had hope deferred in my life with Phyllis? About every other Friday night. Hope deferred makes me sick. But I just went to the Walgreens and bought an extra large bottle of Excedrin. I'm not going to be disappointed no more on Friday night. Do you know what I mean, David? Yes, I, I think you're the only one that knows what I mean. All right. Now, so we cannot judge ourselves because once we find a plateau that we think that we are accepted of God... Here's what happens. Just what happens to this church right here, what does it do? It goes on cruise. It doesn't seek God. It just does stuff for God. And doing stuff for God is not loving God. It's a part of it, but it's not the crutch or the strength of it. Because you can do lots of things in ministry and still find yourself away from God as we just found in Revelation, the second chapter. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I work so much. Stop working so much. Invest time in Jesus. Amen. Because whatever you're doing, you love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You love. You love. So, we have to make sure. How do I get back to kindling my first love? How do we get it rekindled? The first thing, Jesus gives us a great secret. Turn and do those things that you did the first time. It's not like we don't know, but what happens is we just don't want to do it. You know what? Each and every spouse in here knows how to have a good marriage. But they choose to try to stack the deck in their favor and fall out of love with their spouse. Yeah. You know how to have a good marriage. How many men want to have a good marriage? Some of you. You, you better get... Yeah. Let me tell you how. I'm sorry. It was my fault. I won't do it again. That, that's all you have to know. Somebody said, can we have a men's conference? I just told you what I'd tell you. Don't make it complicated. She just wants to get her way, have it her way. She wants everything to go right. Help it go that way. But she's wrong. That's not the point. I asked you if you wanted to have a good marriage. You want to have a good marriage, love her as Christ loved the church, 
Give it all up. Be willing to hang on the cross. Don't expect anybody from the crowd to help you. You are by yourself on the cross and you're hanging there that she can receive redemption and live abundantly. I've died, died a thousand deaths. I've dreamed of Phyllis's a thousand times, but I have actually died a thousand deaths. No, listen to me. If you ever put yourself in front of your spouse in feelings or trying to get your way or anything else, know this, you are separating yourself from the love of your youth. Yep, absolutely. Praise God. Boy, that's good preaching, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, now. So, how do we fall back in love? We have to do the first things first. In other words, we have to get focused and passionate. You know, Wednesday evenings were never an option when people first got saved. Now, I'm not condemning you where you should be coming, but actually, you do. (laughs) Because you love yourself on Wednesday night more than you love the brethren and God. I would say I invite you to join me Wednesday night, but all of you cancel your reservations. But if I could command you to come, or if I could just say this, let me say this. I'm going to be preaching about your bride and your father. You ought to come. Now, if you love him, and I know some of you, he's saying, if I don't show up on Wednesday night, I don't love God. No, I'm just saying that you love other stuff. I, I didn't say you didn't. What you do tells me what you love. I'll tell you, if you didn't know better, you'd think I was a Baptist. Hallelujah. You think I was John Wesley. Hallelujah. Now, the first thing you got to do is do first things first. Get your focus back on God and get it off everything else. Get it off everything else. Now, now look, you can stay separate from your love of God. I'm just telling you that it's sin. Now, you need to get your focus back on God. You need to get your priorities straightened up i didn't say this look it's in the just read revelations the second and third chapter i'm just telling you this and then then i know some of you are going to say but i love you jesus but man you know my ball games are on wednesday nights jesus will say tough but he wants me to enjoy myself he also wants to go to heaven now see you can't rewrite the bible to fit your social gatherings and relationships. That's what the church tries to do. And that's why it's not in love with God. Did you hear about the pastor that was uh, on the news where uh, in Cincinnati? Anybody ever uh, see that? 
where they had him on the news and he came out and he set his uh, big uh, lounge chair right there, his recliner. And, uh, and I had a recliner one time. It feels put in the basement. She told me, if any time you want to use it, it's right down there. Yeah, you're right. She loves her living room more than she loveth me. But anyway, he brought it out and he put a beer there and he opened it up and he started drinking it. He said, you know what? I just want to get real with you today because this is what I do at home. Now, you may think, oh, there's nothing wrong with drinking beer. Right. It's only a little wine sake for your wine for your stomach's sake. All others made out of leaven. There should be no leaven in your life whatsoever. Now, so let's just not even say, well, little strobes never hurt nobody. It, that's just a false statement. You drink beer because you really don't think God minds. And the reason that you did that is because you have leveled out, compared yourself with other people, and because they agree with you, or the church preaches it with you, you have failed to search the scriptures. And you have taken the word of a blind, deaf man. Now, the first thing you need to do, get your focus back on God. Because you will not love anything you don't focus. You know, I, I, sometimes life can get boring. How many of you have been bored since you've been married? Not one man. You bunch of... Ugh. I have been bored, but then I've realized I need to spend time with Phyllis. I need to reignite my lips. And so, we make out. You mean you actually kiss your wife after 47 years? We take our dentures out and... <laughs> not a problem. A little sloppy, a little wet, but 47 years. But you know what? Everything still works. I, I mean, if you start kissing, guess what? Things will be reactivated. The reason you're bored, the reason you're not attracted to your wife, the reason is because you never do anything like you used to do. I tried to get Phil's go parking the other night. We went out there. The police had to come and get us. Why? We got cramps in our legs and couldn't get them out from the steering wheel. They had to take us to the hospital. That was kind of embarrassing. But we got them to keep it out of the papers. It wasn't that bad. Hallelujah. So we realized this. We got to get a bigger car. It doesn't work in a Miata. All right. Now, get your focus back on God. Get your focus back on Jesus. What? What did I say? Well, I am trying to get your mind out of the gutter. They, listen, there's nothing wrong with a husband and wife being passionate, is there? No, absolutely, man. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. So, and then the next thing you need to do, what did you do when you first got saved? You couldn't get enough of God's word. You couldn't get enough of being around the brethren. Now you are so tired, so bored with them, you don't want any fellowship with them at all. That tells me you're out of love because how can you love God 
and not love those brothers whom you see. Yep. Hallelujah. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just bringing this together. I didn't write it. I'd have been harder. So you got to realize you got to start getting in the word. You have to start serving the brethren, caring for the brethren, fellowshipping with the brethren, and you have to again start serving. Serving. Serving in your assembly. Those are the ways that we can fall back in love with God. Hallelujah. I thought I'd get through seven churches today, but I see that I'm not going to make it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, everybody lift up your arm. Lick one of the wounds there on it. Put it back down. Lift the other one back up. Lick your arm again. And that's all we're going to lick while we're here. Hallelujah. Now, listen to me. Please, I'm telling you that Jesus is coming. And I'm telling you, I did not say, if you don't repent of being out of love with me, I am going to come. It's not going to be good. You'll be hearing this message all through eternity. I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. You don't want to hear this message. Amen? I know you didn't like hearing it, did you? Now, but, fellas, don't try to butter up with me, darling. You love it? You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to love me. Do you love me? Yes. I love the message. You love me? Yes, I love Then feed me after lunch, after supper. <laughs> now, look, folks, I'm telling you, and I told you three weeks ago, that God's judgment is headed for the house of God. And he is coming for a bride without spot or without wrinkle. We need to make sure that we're ready. Let's fill our lamps. Let's trim our wicks. And let's get ready. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, we're going to do this after Jesse's here. We're going to quickly get through these others. We're going to do like six churches in one Sunday. That's what we're going to do. But listen to me. Please fall back in love with God. Because when you're in love with God, it don't matter what tribulation you're going through. It doesn't matter. It's, it's worth it. How, how many of you, when I married Phyllis, my family didn't like Phyllis. Honest. They didn't. My mother never showed up at my wedding. Her parents moved her out of the city, moving them to another state. And, and one night, I come back and that night, take her out, and she was gone. They moved her away. But I found her. And she found me. Listen, there are going to be a lot of hardships, but that didn't detour me. It made me more focused than ever. Tribulation is only hard because you are not in love with God. The joy of the Lord 
is your strength. You can endure anything when you are strong in love. You are committed to Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Stand your feet and let's pray. Hallelujah. Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that these words, simple, would just fall on the hearts, God, of your people. God, Jesus, you're calling your people. Whom I love, I rebuke. How your love, Jesus, is reaching out, crying out, calling out, that your people would return. You're knocking on the door. You're warning us their safety in loving you. Jesus, we asked that you would draw us. You said nobody could come to the Father except you draw us. Give us a hunger and thirst according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Give us a desire, a passion again. Rekindle our fires. Stir us up that we may be your people, separated and in love with you. Jesus, thank you for your rebuke and your warning. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for your call to repentance. Jesus, we love you. Lead us today. Lead us today and keep us. Amen and amen. Tonight at 6.30, we'll have a prophetic healing conference.